As health and wellness providers, we know that better patient outcomes require a whole person, multidisciplinary approach that we just can't provide on our own. That's why I've started the Wellness Center Creators Podcast. I'll be bringing you interviews with experts, tips, tricks, secrets, resources, systems, and solutions so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. And creating your wellness center won't feel like starting over. Welcome back, everyone, to the Wellness Center Creators Podcast. Today on the show, we have Dr. Josh Satterley. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Kendall. It's a pleasure being here. I appreciate the invite. Let's start out. If you could please share with our audience just a little bit about your story and how you got to be doing what you're doing now. Yeah, I'm a chiropractor by license and um, been a chiropractor for like 17 years. Love being a chiropractor. Love the aspect of I think the best part of it is it's like being able to help somebody right now with the tools you have, uh, just your hands and your brain can do so much. And I think that's great where other forms of healthcare, you know, you need a CT scan machine or, you know, all this other stuff. And I think uh, chiropractic is awesome for what I can do right now. I'm currently really pursuing patient communication because I uh, recently lost a friend to he went into seven different doctors complaining of low back pain and everybody kind of ignored or didn't pick up on his red flags. And he ended up by the time they discovered he had cancer, he had uh, stage four colon cancer was very aggressive and spreading and he only had six months to live. And so it just made me really like analyze, like, what are we doing here for healthcare and what a role communication plays and how huge that role is. So that's currently my passion project, if you will. And along with all the other exciting things you get to do within being a healthcare provider. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm super passionate about this topic as well. And I think it's vitally important. Uh, so let's jump right in. Mm -hmm. What What would you say is more important for healthcare providers, trust or empathy? That is, I think, the core of the issue. I think if you asked people what feels good, they would say essentially empathy. They would use words that describe empathy. I mean, empathy is kind of a scientific term for those terms. But, you know, that feels good, especially if you're a patient and you're in a, you know, you're sometimes we see these people their worst day or we're going to make it into their worst day because of the news we're going to share with them or something. And so people want that empathy. But the problem with that is that relies on us as providers being in the right emotional state, right? And if you're not, if I find, you know, if I, right before you walk into the room with your next patient, I go, Kendall, hey, listen, the IRS just called. Turns out you owe another 55 grand. All right, go see Mrs. Johnson. It's like, I'm going to pull you out of empathy, right? It's going to be difficult. So as I like looked at all the research and all these articles, I realized that if we can establish trust with our patients, empathy is great. But if we can establish trust, that is universal of your emotional state. That that supersedes your emotional state. So even if you 
you found out that you had that tax bill coming up. And I'm just using that as something with a business owner that can be so stressful. If you establish trust by fulfilling on promises before and during and after those visits, then empathy is like a cherry on top of that. If you are in the right emotional state and you can be empathetic, that's even better. But I think everybody can think of somebody who they trust explicitly that maybe isn't the most empathetic, but you still have that emotional bond. Like for me, I have a football coach that changed my life. I would never describe him as empathetic ever at any practice, ever any point. But I would trust him explicitly, like with my kids, with my finances, whatever, because Coach Haggerty was just a trustworthy individual, but not empathetic. And the reason it's so big to me is like, I don't want to build a system built on the chance that you're in the right emotional state. Although I want to honor that fact when you are in that emotional state. So I hope that was a long-winded answer to the simple question. Yeah, I agree 100%. And I'm curious how much this is talked about in school for chiropractors because for psychotherapy, this is foundationally, right? This is the the foundational principle of how we work is Mm -hmm. we, you know, study after study shows that the success of therapy depends mostly on the therapeutic relationship, right? The trust of the relationship. So I'm curious, uh, is this something that is um, brought in to training with chiropractors? No, unfortunately, I would say that it's, it is discussed that we should communicate with patients, but it's often left with just that statement, you know, like take an accurate history or find out, you know, what's the pain like? Is it numb or tingling? And, and that's scratching the surface. And probably one of my favorite quotes about this is there's a guy named George Bernard Shaw. And he says the, the biggest illusion within communication is that it actually occurred. And I think in healthcare, how many times do we hit that? Like the, the person is saying, I feel ants crawling on me. And what they're saying, what they're trying to describe, you ask a child, for example, how would a child describe tingling in their mm-hmm. arm, right? Mm-hmm. How would they describe numbness? And so when our patients are saying that, what are they really saying? What are they really trying to communicate? And are we picking up on, they just don't have the language to say something other than ants. They don't have the language yeah. to cover this. And yet we're just like, okay, so there's an insect problem at the house, you know, like call the pest control. And it's like. You're right. not communicating now. Yeah. No. My on a slight tangent, my daughter, my youngest daughter is sick today. And mm-hmm. she said, Mommy, this morning she said, Mama, I feel like a cloud who got sick. And I'm the first cloud who ever got sick. So <laughs> this I this is I'm the first person this has ever happened to. Right. Yeah. But the cloud part is what I am listening for, right? Because she's describing how her whole being in her head feels foggy and cloudy and, you know, all the things. And so it shows up all the time with kids and adults. And um, I I wholeheartedly agree with you. Um, It comes down to And you think, too, going back to that trust thing, you know, I would guess your kids have a very high level of trust with you. And they also interpret you as empathetic, right? They go to their mom when there's a problem they want to talk about. But if you were to somehow break their trust, would she still take the time to describe it as cloud or 
the only mm-hmm. cloud that got sick or right. would she just say a very, you know, like my tummy hurts, like a, a reduced, mm-hmm. reduced the descriptive language. And, uh, and that's where I think that this is so powerful is if we can get into that descriptive language, our patients will often tell us so much more information than we set out at first to, to gain from them. Absolutely. So what do you think providers can do? Like what's the number one thing thing you think providers can do to increase trust with patients? So again, I'm sure you as a business owner and you like with all you've built, you know that systems beat superheroes, right? I would rather build a system that works for every person in a building than go out and search for a superhero level amount of empathy and communication, right? Because what I want to know is that our worst day, our worst communicator on our team is still going to do a really good job. Maybe not the best job, but it has to get above a certain level or we're not providing healthcare, right? So we talk about something called like prognostic communication, or we can term it differently, just a preemptive communication. So I use this example all the time. And this is part of building the system to, to do this. If you had gone to a brand new personal trainer, right? And you've never worked, let's assume you've never worked out in your entire life, right? You've never done anything and you decide to start working out at age, you know, let's say you're age 55, right? And you start working out. What would be a really good message to get from that trainer the night of your first workout? Like what can he or she see is going to happen to you in the next 24 to 48 hours that you may not be ready for? If they go, hey, you did a great job today. It was a pleasure meeting you. By the way, you might be a little sore tomorrow when you wake up and that soreness may get worse. So here's some tricks for it, right? Like they're guiding you on that path before you even realize that. When I use that example of personal trainer, everybody's like, oh yeah, blah, blah, blah. And then I say, what do you do in your office? And then it goes silent, right? (laughs) It's like, there are things that people may not be ready for that we could guide them through and, and forget like clinically. How about this? Kendall, you've pulled into your parking lot 5,000 times, right? But what would it be like for that patient the first time they pull in? And what are some possible ways it could go south, right? Like, I don't know. I use parking because it's commonly something where it's like, don't park here. You could get towed. There's only four spots up front and they're often full. So where else could you park, right? And then if you're looking at the building, where is the entrance, right? So I, I would say if you can preemptively communicate with your patient and established from the get-go. We're going to guide you through this. And it starts with, we're going to guide you through how to park at our clinic for your first time. Mm -hmm. So send a picture of your building or your parking lot or wherever and say like, park here and use this door, right? And just send literally a picture of your building. I think small things like that can go so far to build that trust. And we instead wait for that patient to be in our office already parked, already gone in the right door, already talked to the person at the front desk already. And then we're like, okay, well, after you do all that, then we'll start our trust building. And I'm like, no way. I I don't want that. Because the real reason for that, the real reason to send a picture of like your parking lot is we often ask the highest level trust questions as healthcare providers in the lowest trust environment. Meaning, If you're coming into a chiropractor and you're talking about low back pain, I'm going to ask, hey, do you have any incontinence or, you know, do you have any what's called saddle paresthesia, numbness in your genitals, right? 
these are high, 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 high trust questions. And when do I ask them? In the first five minutes of our very first meeting together. Well, if I was like on a date with with someone in the first five minutes, would I ask, how many times you declared bankruptcy and have you ever been addicted to any illicit drugs? Like these, those are high trust questions, but I would never ask them in that low trust environment. Yet as healthcare right. providers, we do it all the time. So we have to, we have to, and I'm not saying not to do that. So what I'm trying to do is establish the trust before that, guide them through the process so that when they enter your office, they already know who Kendall is. They already know and trust him. If you could send a picture of yourself three hours before the meeting, hey, you know, I'm, I'm Dr. Josh. I look forward to working with you today. Little yeah. moves like that can do so much. And they're systematized. Like we can automate them. They're not, they're easy to do. So, And what you're talking about is really trauma-informed care. Ooh. And what that comes down to is helping people not be surprised by their experience and letting people mm. know what to expect. And so the preemptive communication is a foundational trauma-informed practice, right? It's really? Saying, yeah, fantastic. you're doing it. <laughs> um, yeah. And, but it comes down to, it's the same as with, as someone's getting booked, depending on your system of getting people booked, even if it's automated, right? If it's online, mm -hmm. right? There's those steps mm -hmm. of communication that can go to them. But over the phone, you can go deeper into that, right? And making mm -hmm. sure people are going through all the screening questions, they're going to be the right fit, the person tells them about their provider, right? All that can happen over the phone in person, or it could happen, you know, um, through messages, if it's online. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. everything you're describing is a, a trauma informed approach to practicing. I love whenever you go down a path and you're like, man, I hope it's right. And then some outside uninvolved party confirms that it's that it's right because it just tells you like, yeah, no matter what path you go down, all roads will lead to these acts, which are the ones yeah. that we should all do as healthcare providers, regardless of license. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, this is Shelby from the Jane team. Jane is an all-in-one practice management software designed to save you time with features like user-friendly online booking, efficient documentation, and an integrated payment solution. Here at Jane, we know your treatment time is valuable and you'd much rather be helping your patients and clients than filling out paperwork or chasing payment information. Jane's online intake forms help you maximize your treatment time by collecting all of the right information before your patient even walks through the door. Whether you need to collect a credit card on file, insurance billing details, or sign consent, you can customize your forms to fit your practice needs. And Jane is HIPAA compliant, so you can feel confident knowing that your patient's data is stored securely. With patient details saved directly to their profile and questionnaires to their chart, you can say goodbye to your bulky filing cabinet for good. Learn more by heading to jane.app forward slash guide. So you mentioned something in your notes about the four-part apology framework. Oh. Tell us about it. <laughs> so as I was like studying communication, if you just type that into PubMed, you know, you're just going to get a whole boatload. But a very interesting subset of the communication research is around malpractice and, you know, what, what causes people to engage in malpractice. And you're not going to be shocked by this, Kendall, but I want to share the stats. 72% of all malpractice cases are filed for communication issues not medical procedures, meaning it's not that you cut the wrong finger off if you're an orthopedic surgeon. It's 
that you were a jerk to the mom of the patient who's in the room, right? Yep. And so surgeons have twice as many malpractice complaints as anybody else. You would think, oh, that's because they're cutting. It's not that. It's that surgeons also typically need the most training around communication, right? They're typically dealing with patients who are unconscious, right? On purpose. But the pre-appointment and the post uh, pre-surgery appointments and stuff are where they typically get into trouble. So hospitals research this a lot because hospitals have to take the brunt of that, of those lawsuits often. And, uh, you know, they're expensive. So anyways, along that, there is a, a talk about the four-part apology framework that they train some surgeons in. And, um, it's interesting if you remove one of these parts, you'll realize, oh yeah, that's what like politicians sound like when you know they're not really apologizing, right? So number one is explain what happened. Like, hey, the reason I did X, Y, and Z was because of this, right? Number two, actually apologize. Use the words, I'm sorry. Don't avoid saying that. And oftentimes, in, unfortunately, in malpractice training from hospitals, they'll say, don't ever admit to being sorry or show guilt or whatever. The research 100% disagrees with that. Clearly, it's important that you acknowledge the fact that you wrong this person and say, sorry. So you actually, so number one is explain what happened. Number two, offer that you're sorry, right? Number three is offer reparations. Now, what that means is, hey, Kendall, I'm sorry that your appointment was screwed up. Let me tell you why it happened. So I'm going to explain it. And as a reparation or something I'm going to give to you is in the future, we've changed our procedure because of this experience, right? Now you want to be careful here. Don't say it will never happen again, unless you can absolutely ensure that it'll never happen again. And I think in healthcare, I would never use that term, but say, here's how we're going to change in the future, right? And then the fourth part is reassurance. Like, I want you to know this matters to us. And we've made these changes. Here's what happened. And so moving forward, Mrs. Johnson, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, right? But if you think about like political and like, you know, they always say like, oh, hopes and prayers are with the families. They're not offering an apology. They're not offering any change to their behavior, any reparations. They're usually not explaining things happen. Although that's the one place I will say that politicians often explain what happened. There was a horrible train accident and 137 souls were lost, but they don't like go deeper than that. So those four parts will save you and have been shown that if you just say you're sorry, explain it, explain what happened. So there's agreement on the facts, offer some sort of reparation and reassurance that typically the, the uh, offended party will not sue you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They might be, it goes a long way. They won't enter. Yeah. Just sort of disarm the situation. Yeah, that's a great, great framework. I'm curious what you think the barriers are for healthcare providers to put more of these systems in place for the preemptive communication, prognostic communication, uh, those kind of taking time to build the trust. Because we could, you know, Western medicine, we could get into all of that, which would be another yep. episode around yep. like, there's just not enough time with the patient, yep. right? But when we think yep. about alternative medicine, whatever we want to call it, if you are making enough time for the patient, what do you think the mm-hmm. barriers are to put these systems in place? So remember the quote, like the most the most common illusion in communication that actually occurred, right? So I would say 
Number one, how do you communicate and analyze that and say, like, if I communicate that way and my partner does and my kids do and whoever, then look at that and say, it's worthy of me communicating with my patients that way, right? So I will just say this. Do you typically communicate with the people that matter in your life through email, phone call, text, or DMs on social media? Rank them in order for me. You asking me? Yeah, I'll, I'll use you. You're the only other person on the podcast. Yeah. I'll ask you. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know if it was rhetorical. Yeah. Um, no, I think it's it, people listening, obviously, you know, rank it, but here, I'll just yeah. make this point. Yeah. So, so for me personally, the most important mm-hmm. pe- people in my life, I communicate mostly in person okay. or through, if we think business wise, it would be mm-hmm. in person also, but through email. I don't. Ah, but that's yeah. not what I asked. What'd you ask? People that matter in your life, like friends and family. How yeah. do you communicate with them most of the time? Oh, okay. I thought you said important people in my life. So friends and family, I mostly communicate with through in-person and text message. Mm-hmm. And then what would you say is number three? So in-person, text message, phone call, email, and DMs on social media are the three that are left. Um, Phone call, email. Mm-hmm. And then DMs, which would be very rare. Right. And just for clarity, um, that's a very age stratified thing. DMs on social media are the most common 25 and below, right? That's uh, Snapchats and, (laughs) yep. And phone calls are very biased towards typically like your parents, I would guess, would a higher percentage of phone calls than they would anything else. But I would say text message is the most common, right? And I think that we should tailor our communication to the m- way that our patients communicated with us. So I would say, yes, if they're text based, it's important to have two way text messaging. And I stress the two way because one way text messaging, one way communication methods just don't work for anybody. Right. Now, if that person reached out to you through Facebook Messenger, it'd be sweet if you reach back out to them through Facebook Messenger, because allowing our patients to set the tone or the pathway for communication is a good way to build that early trust instead of forcing you to switch to another method, right? Yes, agree. So I think two-way texting. And then, like you said, there are times when you want to jump on the phone. And that's, in high-trust situations, a very common thing. For example, people call their bank. They don't feel comfortable texting with their bank, right? And it's just a, a, a common thing. So having those systems where you can two-way text and then phone call and then you know, email still plays a role there. The problem with this is that, as you know, there's a lot of great EHR systems and stuff, but they force you to email. And I would just tell everybody listening, like really evaluate, like, is that the best way that you want to do it? Because it does force the other person to play your game, which is not as trustworthy as allowing to play their game. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think you know, EHRs are starting to catch on and hopefully this mm-hmm. will be built out into our very favorite system soon. I'm curious if you have a system that you like to use for two-way texting and maybe it's combined with a web-based phone or what are you using mm-hmm. personally? We have a system, we sell software, so I'll be very upfront. Like, and it was to combat this problem, which is our software is called Trust Driven Care. Um, nice. If you go to trustdrivencare.com, but I would say it it focuses first on two-way text messaging because that's what 98% of people communicate with. And then from there, you realize you can do other things. So 
you could offer online courses, right? If you have a course about parenting, I'm just, I'm assuming a course that you might have Kendall, but parenting from a certain perspective, that may be a course you want to offer and offering that through two-way text for them to get in and register for it, enter their email. I see. It just smooths things out. If you think about calendaring solutions, not medical appointments, but non-medical appointments you might have as a business, like hiring somebody or, you know, setting up time to work with a vendor. Those things work really well through two-way texting. And, but first you got to establish that communication path, which is two-way text messaging. Awesome. I can't wait to check it out. Uh, Mm -hmm. It sounds like you have a giveaway for our audience, maybe a guide that you might be able to offer. I might be able to offer something. Yeah. So it's the ultimate guide. Oh my gosh. Sorry. Just the ultimate guide. Yeah. The ultimate guide to awesomeness. It's (laughs) the, I can't remember if it's the healthcare provider's guide to communicating or the ultimate guide to healthcare communication. Both of those were names of it. We modify, you know, we constantly modify it, but I'd love to share it with your audience and, and get them. But here's the one way I would think about it is like, I always challenge our, our customers or users to do this. Think about if you were taking your grandmother to an appointment, right? Let's say she needs to go see a new primary care physician. And uh, you're like, all right, we're take, I'm taking you Wednesday at 10 a.m. And then an hour before you're supposed to take her, for some reason, you can't go anymore right? You came down with an infectious disease and you don't want to spare it to grandmother, but she still needs to go. How would you handle it to ensure that she makes it to that visit if she's going to now drive herself, right? And I think it's a good thought experience because we want to take care of our grandparents. There are sometimes some communication or cognitive issues we got to deal with. We can't be overwhelming. And I think what you'll end up doing is finding that if you kind of laid out how you communicate with her, you'll have a really good pathway for those patients now that are coming into your practice for the first time. Mm-hmm. A picture, um, maybe a link to the right map. Because I, I had an office and I don't know why Google had me across the street. It took us three years to yeah. sort that out. Apple had oh, us gosh. in the right place. Um, but little things like that, you know, and we get these calls from older patients that are like, I'm standing next to the pub and you're not here. And I'm like, oh. I know you're across the street. Well, why did, why is it wrong? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, you know, but yeah, I don't want to berate them. I want. Yeah. <laughs> it's not their fault. It yeah. Yeah. It's not. So we, um, you know, little things like that can make such a huge difference. And then if you deliver those two or three things before they ever step foot in your office, the amount of trust we're going into the, uh, first visit with is, is huge. And now we have a starting place. Josh, this is a great conversation. I think it's been super valuable to our audience. If people want to find you and work with you, try out your new system, how do they do that? Yeah, you can go to trustdrivencare.com. And if you want to uh, reach out to me, josh at trustdrivencare.com and happy to answer any questions. Or if you're on our website, you could text me and there's like a, a little widget that'll text me and say, hey, I have this question about it and I'll text you back. It's pretty slick. Nice. Yeah. Josh, thanks so much for being here. Absolutely, Kendall. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to the Wellness Center Creators Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please visit our website at wellnesscentercreators.com for more show notes and additional episodes. 
Plus, if you do have time, please subscribe to the podcast and please consider rating and reviewing the show. That will help other people find us. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next time on the Wellness Center Creators Podcast. Podcast.